0: The word of God from Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And she said, according to you, your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. All together, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever."
1: Thank you, Holly. Please remain standing for a few moments more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacred story. I thank you that by really swimming in your word, Lord, we can know more about what you're like. You know, we can know you. And so, Lord, open our hearts, illumine the sacred passage. Soften our hearts, Lord. Make us hungry for your word. Oh, Lord, make us hungry for your word. And change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and happy Advent. Um, let me... Let me begin with a a quote from a famous theologian, Francis Schaeffer, and it's a doozy. All right. He says, we are all prostitutes. We are all harlots. Each one of us is a whore in the idolatry of our hearts. I warned you. Can you imagine hearing those words from a highly educated, refined theologian? He is saying something profoundly true. And in fact, no matter how shocking this is, if you don't understand it, you will not be able to appreciate the beauty of the story that we just heard. The Bible is always very honest and yet surprising about the people who God uses to accomplish his will. So this morning we are going to learn about Rahab, the lying prostitute, and uh, when I refer to her as a prostitute, I'm—I am not name calling. I'm not name calling. I'm—I'm I'm actually being quite technical. That is what she did to earn a living. Rahab was a woman who shared her bed with countless clients in exchange for money. And this same woman. It is beautifully celebrated in the Bible as a model for her incredible faith and virtue. And virtue. Isn't that disturbing? This woman is so precious to God, and he redeems her story. And in fact, according to the lineage of Jesus that is in Matthew 1, right? only mentions a handful of women in that lineage. She's one of them. She is the great-great-grandmother to Jesus. That's why we're studying her in the sermon series, The Mothers of God. And this forces us to ask ourselves a very honest question. Do we think we're better than Rahab? Do we think we're morally superior to her? And the answer should be no. Why? Because we are all spiritual prostitutes the metaphor that the Bible uses to describe people who know God and yet are unfaithful, it's that of a prostitute, and we're all guilty. Spiritual prostitute, being a spiritual prostitute is worse than being a prostitute. I want you to know that, it's worse. And once we establish that, now we're ready to learn from Rahab. We're ready to appreciate this remarkable story. This woman is declared holy and virtuous for her efforts in sanctifying the Holy Land. Now, I don't know about you. This gets me really excited. <laughs> it does. Because I, like, I desperately want God to use me. I do. I want to be used by God. But when I look at my own life, it's not that great. It is far from perfect. I mean, I can fool you, but I can't fool my children or my wife. and certainly not God. There are so many things that, like, God is still working out in my life. And sometimes I fear that God will not use me until I'm perfect. But together we're going to learn that God has no problem using messy people for his own glory. And so with that, let me just quickly, as we get into this, let me just give you the background context of where we are. Um, Our passage picks up where um, just recently Moses has died. Joshua has now appointed the new leader. He's giving orders to enter into the promised land, into Canaan. But the land is occupied by people who really, hate, frankly, hate Israel. And so Israel has got to conquer cities, who, and cities that are far more strong and far more sophisticated than they are. And this first city is called Jericho. And Jericho is this large city, with this virtually impenetrable wall around it, which was fairly common for the time. Well, these two spies are sent into Jericho in order to scout out the city uh, for, you know, Israel's very first invasion. And so our passage today is in the context of that very first mission to scout it out, to, to see its weaknesses and so forth. And there's a a handful of ways we can study this passage. What we're going to do is we're going to evaluate it by asking the, the text three questions. Who does God use? How does God use them? And when does God start to use them? Who, how, and when? Let's start with our first question. Who does God use? So the drama in our passage begins almost immediately. The two spies enter the city by the hospitality of Rahab. As I mentioned earlier, there's this wall that's built around the city. In fact, um, various habitations are actually built into the wall itself. It's a significant wall. And so your house would be like the back wall would be the outer wall of the city. And so Rahab's home is one of those. And the text tells us right away, verse 1, that she was a prostitute. Now, through the ages, that, that detail has made lots of people uncomfortable. In fact, you can see later rabbinic reflections on this passage. And they're trying to deny, these interpreters are trying to deny that she was indeed a prostitute. Um, let's be clear. If you look at the Hebrew word, or even the Greek equivalent that, uh, in the, that you would see in the Septuagint, uh, that word is pornes. That's an uncomfortable word. You know what that sounds like. It just means prostitute. The word is not ambiguous. Now, why is this so hard to accept? It's because it feels disgraceful. It feels disgraceful to those who try to use the characters of the Bible as models of piety. Uh, It feels disgraceful to those people who try to base their own salvation upon virtuous living. The story is uncomfortable to those people who want to set up a scheme of salvation that's based on human goodness, because the details don't play well with those frameworks. But here's what this story shows us. God's mercy came to this prostitute because of something in him, not in her. Surely, surely there were other women in Jericho who lived more virtuous lives. But while maintaining this vocation of of prostitution... She valiantly helps God's people. And perhaps because precisely because she's a harlot, she was exposed to the promises of God. The great theologian Abraham Kuyper, he explains that um, houses of prostitution were principally frequented by traveling merchants, right? So they're the ones out in the world that are coming into the city. They're, They're hearing the gossip of the day, if you will. And so her clients would have been the source of information about this God of Israel. See, she had already heard about what happened in Egypt. Look there at verses eight and nine. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, For we have heard... We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. When the spies came to Rahab, she already knew their God, and she was ready to serve. But it's important to understand that Rahab is not a harlot first and a woman of of faith second. She's both of those things at the same time. That's what makes the story so intolerable for moralists and legalists. And we all have a touch of that in us. People who believe that, uh, who might be inclined to believe that once they, they know Jesus, give their life to them, their life's just cleaned up after that. Nope. The idea that Rahab was both a prostitute and a daughter of God at the same time is actually at the very core of our faith. In fact, this point of theology was made absolutely explicit during the Protestant Reformation. If you'll recall, in the 16th century, many people were kind of growing angry uh, with some of the abuses in the Catholic Church. They wanted to purify. They wanted to reform the church, turn it back to its original doctrines. In particular, there was this uh, one priest. His name was Martin Luther. And Luther was, of course, one of the, one of the main instruments that kind of set the, the Reformation on fire. During that period, uh, the Catholic Church would teach that baptism could wash away original sin. And therefore, you could be accepted by God through baptism. And so then it was uh, the charge of the individual to keep sin away through penance or indulgences, right? Something like that. And so the reformers were vigorously against such teachings. That they would say the early church never taught that. They were against it. And so they used this phrase to explain uh, this biblical doctrine. And it's in Latin. It's simul justus et peccator. So simul means like simultaneously. Justus, just or righteous. Et just means and. Peccator means Sinner. Pecadores in Spanish, in case you want to know. All right. That is to say, we are simultaneously both righteous and sinners, right? So under the scrutiny and analysis of God, we're always found sinful. But because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, his righteousness has been imputed to us. And therefore, we are declared perfectly just. Why is this so important for us today? Because the gift of God is freely given to us despite our sinful condition. This doctrine, of course, it's not this is an excuse for continued sinful conduct. But, but when it's properly understood, it, it comforts the person who truly desires to be free from sin, but is keenly aware of this like, constant struggle that all of us live with, this inner struggle. So like Martin Luther doesn't deny that we can improve our conduct, but it's massively important that we refrain from either arrogantly relying upon or finding comfort in our own good behavior or on the other hand despairing of our daily sinful failures. Either either arrogance or despairing. Now listen, the question is this, who does God use? He uses prostitutes and sinners like us. He's always, he's always used sinners. He's always used people like, who don't have their life together, who yell at their children sometimes, who aren't faithful, who are greedy. Like He's using people like us all the time. What this text shows us is that you and I are not disqualified from being used by God just because we don't have our life perfectly together. Sometimes, you know, I'll hear people say, like, I don't know that God would ever use a person like me. And the Bible responds, of course he would. Like, that's precisely what he does. He delights to use hot, mess." imperfect people like us. There's more to say. Let's move to our second question. How does God use them? How? How does God use these people? It's an important question because I think most of us think that we have to be very talented in order to be used by God. So if you're like an ordinary person or just frankly below average, um, sometimes it's hard to believe that God can use you And yet the Bible is filled with examples of almost how God prefers. Like he literally prefers to use ordinary people. Moses spoke with a terrible speech impediment. Jonah was like an awful, uh, like very weak faith prophet. Uh, Most of the disciples lacked status or uh, education. The Apostle Paul apparently had no eloquence. But God like used these people in powerful ways. How so? It's not their talent; it was their faith, was their faith. Now let me explain using Rahab because she's this marvelous example. So Rahab was a prostitute. In other words, I imagine she was not suited for other jobs because otherwise she would have done another job. It's not like little girls just wake up and say, hey, when I grow up, this is what I want to do one day, right? She's probably forced into that. But she would heard about the powerful acts of the Lord. In fact, look at verse 7. It says this, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, For the Lord, look there, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, what's striking about this verse is that she does not use the generic name for God, which would have been Elohim. That's how the nations would have referred to the God of Israel. She invokes God's covenant name. Those capital letters, that's what your translator's telling you about, which is only to be used by a child of this God, Yahweh. When she confesses with her mouth that Yahweh is the one true God in the heavens and on the earth, she's doing something spectacular. So this would be like, just to kind of help you feel the weight of this, it would be like me going into the White House, right? Entering in President Biden's office and saying, Joey Joe, what's up, man? Right? That'd be ludicrous. Why? Because nobody calls President Biden Joey unless they are his closest family members. I mean, to use that name means that you don't simply know him in some professional setting, that you know him personally, like your family. That's what Rahab is doing here. She doesn't refer to God in a generic way Rather, she knows him personally. And this profession of faith in verse 11 is in direct contradiction to her pagan religion. It is clear by this profession that she has correct beliefs about God. But remember, and listen carefully, faith and belief are not the same thing, all right? Faith and belief or not. For example, many people believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they would not, we would not say that their belief translates into faith. Why? Well, what is faith? Faith is belief plus trust. Faith is belief and trust together. That is what Rahab demonstrates. How does God use Rahab, we ask? Not by her talent, but by her faith, this belief meeting her trust. See, when the two spies arrive at her door, she welcomes them. Apparently, these spies were identified and reported to the king. And so the king's men went to the prostitute's house to investigate. And what did she do? She put her life at stake for theirs. She lied and protected them. Okay, real quick, I feel like I have to say this. Give me a couple of sentences to tell you about lying here. So in the Ten Commandments, we're told that lying is wrong. It's absolutely true, kids, it's wrong. It's also important to understand that the Ten Commandments have a context, and that context is, is that they are that the, these commandments govern the affairs of ordinary circumstances. But what we see in our text is a war against the enemies of God. And so lying in this particular context is something very different. It's a ruse. Lying in this context is actually virtuous. So like, for instance, let me illustrate this for you. When I was in the military, I, um, I was an intelligence officer So I had access to very sensitive information. And I knew that if I were ever caught by enemy troops, it would be my responsibility to lie and to mislead my interrogators in order to protect the lives of so many countless others. You see, so this is not about results justifying the means. This is about the shape of virtue in various contexts. That's what we're seeing here in our story. So, Rahab, back to her story here, Rahab lies to the king's men in order to protect the spies. Now, you can imagine, like, right, how grateful the spies were. What she is doing in that moment is trusting God, trusting God more than her circumstances. Because, listen, if Israel fails to conquer Jericho, she would have been immediately killed as a traitor. She was putting her life and her trust in the hands of the God of Israel. Rahab didn't simply believe in Yahweh. She trusted him, even at the risk of death. She was committed in every way. That, that is biblical faith, not just belief. Faith is the idea that we can trust God to take care of our needs. Even if it means death, we can trust in that too. And by trusting that he's going to take care of us, right? We can risk like she did. We, we can walk in obedience in hard circumstances. Faith says that we are free to be radically obedient because it is God who is taking care of us. There's always been a correlation between what we profess and how we live. And so, right now, like, In your seats, as even you hear this ancient story, when you search your hearts, what is that one place in your life where you know God is calling you to obey, to trust, and you don't want to? You don't want to because you believe in Him, but you don't know if you can trust Him. You're afraid to rest in him. See, while you believe in God, you have not actually activated faith, which comes by trust. And that's what I want for you. That's what the scriptures are calling us to. God uses people when they employ and activate their faith. God used Rahab, not because she was talented. You hear me? Not because she was talented, but because she coupled her profession of belief with a profound trust in the God of Israel. All right, so far we have answered two questions. Who does God use and how does God use them? And we've established that God uses sinful and perfect people and he uses them by their faith, not their talent. So now we're at our final question. When? When does God start using them? So I stated earlier that Rahab is not a prostitute first and then a woman of faith second. Like she's both of those things at the same time. So if you're a moralist, this is one of those stories that just completely disturbs and interrupts your theology, right? The details of the story are really messy. And let me just complicate it further with more details of the story. There is no reason to suspect that she stopped being a prostitute until the walls of Jericho fell and she was married into the people of Israel. And let me explain from the text. So Rahab makes a deal with the spies. In exchange for protecting the spies, Rahab wanted her entire family to be spared when the war began. Listen to her petition. This is verse 12 and 13. Now then... She says, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver their lives from death. Now we know how the story goes, right? Israel comes, although they're far less sophisticated than those people of Jericho, And uh, the walls come tumbling down, right? And God wins this war for them. But Rahab made a deal, and Joshua intends to keep his word. So listen to what Joshua says. This is four chapters later in uh, chapter 6, and when the actual war is happening. This is Joshua 6, verse 22. It says, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house. And bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. Now notice Joshua does not call her by her name. He could have said, hey, go to Rahab's house. He didn't do that. He says, go to the prostitute's house. Like, like what's going on there? Is like Joshua making fun of her? No, like he's being technical. Like she was a prostitute. Selling her body is how she fed her family. And when she activated her faith and trust in the Lord, protected the spies, she didn't just like magically become this perfect person. She was still a mess. But here's the point. She didn't have to clean up her life before God would use her. He used her just as she was. Now listen, I'm not, like, I'm not even trying to make some fine theological point right now. This is actually profoundly practical. I know people who literally will not come to church until they get their life together. You know, first they want to break all of their—they uh, want to break all of their addictions first. Gotta to, gotta to put filters on my internet first. I need to—I uh, need to be reconciled with all my relationships first, right? I, I, I need to start praying more than before my meals. You know, like. They want to do all those things so they, can, they have the right to come back to church. And clearly, and you can't miss this, clearly they are misunderstanding the gospel. That's like saying, hey, like you need to take a shower so that you're ready to take a shower. You know, like we don't go to God when we're cleaned up. We go to God in order to be cleaned up. It's God's love that comes to us first that cleans us up. Don't you see? Like, you can't miss this point. That's what we're seeing with Rahab. God did not wait for Rahab to get her life together before he would start using her. He started using her right away. In the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, like the author compliments Rahab's faith. And he compliments her faith while she is still a practicing prostitute. You remember Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith? There's only a handful of women that are even mentioned. Rahab gets a mention. And this is what it says in Hebrews eleven thirty-one. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, he says, he clarifies, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Notice that the author of Hebrews proudly reminds everyone that she was a prostitute. He doesn't even try to hide it. Listen, that's not an outlier. Like, that's the whole New Testament. The the testimony of, like, 11 uneducated fishermen with, like, questionable, like, discipline. A few women with dubious sexual pasts. Christianity in the first century explodes. And within three centuries, it became the greatest religion the world has ever known. And that's where we are today. Christianity did not grow through powerful people. It grew strong through slaves, women, poor people. in fact, powerful people are the ones who rejected Christianity while the lower classes surrendered to Jesus in mass. That is still the case today. Poor people are more likely to place their faith in Jesus than our rich people. The phenomena of deconstruction happens among rich people, not poor people. Why is this? Why is this true among the poor and the broken? It's because our faith has this intrinsic way of speaking dignity to us. We experience dignity by our faith, not our performance, not our status. And so if you feel performance, if you feel proud of your performance and status, you don't need Christianity. It's just the people who desperately want it and can't get it, and it comes only by faith. This means that even prostitutes are, in, are valuable and important participants in God's grand history, that they are privileged in some strange, beautiful way. That's why Christians should never be judgy. God treasures the most unlikely people. This concept is what sets Christianity apart, you see. See, the world's economy and framework teaches that talented people receive their treasure. Good people receive their treasure. Intellectual people receive their treasure. But Christianity says that prostitutes and sinners are God's treasure. Bury that deep in your hearts. God accepted Rahab even while she was a prostitute, and that fact is meant to encourage our hearts too. So I try to answer three questions. Who does God use? How does he use them? And when does he start using them? Man, those answers are surprising, right? God loves and uses sinners by faith right away. This beautiful depiction of God's grace and Rahab's life is meant, you're supposed to read it, and it's meant to provoke admiration for the Lord, the one who loves spiritual prostitutes. Your admiration and loyalty to the Lord is what will give you power to even desire holiness in the first place. Listen, the Lord loves you just as you are. And he loves you so much. He's so nuts about you. He is not going to leave you as you are. He wants to grow and mature you. Jesus wants you to know him, to love him, to be loyal to him, even at great cost. You, Denver Press, can trust him. Rahab trusted the Lord and he redeems her story and he gave her a new identity. She moved from being Rahab the prostitute to Rahab the daughter of God. And it was Jesus who actually is the one who accomplishes that in Rahab. And let me finish and let me conclude by just telling you how he did it. In this story, there is this really Very peculiar detail. The spies told Rahab that in order to be saved, she must tie a scarlet cord in her window. See that? Look at verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather in your house and your father, mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. In other words, by her faith, the whole family gets in there and are saved. In verse 21, according to your words, she says, so be it. Then she sent them away, they departed, and she tied, repeats it, a scarlet cord in the window. Why? Why tell us the color of the cord? Like, what's so significant about the color? Well, scarlet is the color of blood. And so the symbolism becomes very striking to a a Jewish audience. Every Jew knew that each year on the Passover, they're supposed to slaughter a lamb, take its scarlet blood, and put it on their doorposts. How come? Because on the very first Passover, God sent the angel of death to destroy the firstborn child of every family. But if the doorposts were covered with the lamb's scarlet blood, then the angel of death would pass over... In the entire family, those within its doors would be spared. These spies were well aware of this symbolism. They had practiced the Passover. And they told Rahab that the destruction would pass over her household if the scarlet cord marked it as if it were the scarlet blood of the Lamb. We know from the New Testament, that Jesus was the eternal lamb whose blood is celebrated in the Passover. That's how come when John the Baptist, we repeat this regularly, when he first lays eyes on Jesus, what, 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 what comes out of his heart? He's like, behold, the lamb of God, right? The sacrificial Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Rahab was already learning from the very beginning, even by the simple act of the scarlet cord, that salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord saved Rahab so that she could grow in holiness and loyalty to him. And God's gift was not only, and listen, it's not only salvation, it was a new identity. After Rahab was welcomed into the people of Israel, Rahab married a man named Salmon. And together, Rahab and Salmon have a baby. And that baby's name is Boaz. What we studied last week. And Boaz marries Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth are King David's great-grandparents, which make Rahab King David's great-great-grandmother. And not only that, that makes her the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus the Christ, too. Rahab is saved, but it's more than that. She becomes a part of the very lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus. She moves from prostitution to royalty Can you believe that? If you can, then you have all the resources necessary to truly grow in humility and holiness and joy. Amen? Amen.